Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. To jar you out of your post-summer holiday languor, we offer this bit of comfort from The Economist. Risky assets across the board have proved astonishingly resilient to seemingly disastrous news. Surviving the return of inflation, rising interest rates, war in Europe, and the threat of recession. It added that asset valuations have become maddeningly difficult to justify. Huh. On that note, let's launch into the podcast. All right, this week our three things are, one, distressed credit diverges from spreads. Does that make sense? Two, consumer sentiment bounces. Perspective here is important. And three, corporate earnings growth. It's important to understand what's been driving it. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. We talked recently about the riskiest strata of credit and the vulnerability it faces in a world where liquidity is being drained from the system, where the economic backdrop is weakening, and where the cost of capital has risen materially. So it comes as no surprise that the universe of distressed bonds and loans, those names trading at more than 1,000 basis points, has grown materially from structural lows reached in 2021. Since October of that year, distressed credits have averaged roughly $250 billion, up from an average of around $60 billion from June of 2021 to June of 2022. For context, the universe grew to just shy of a trillion dollars at the worst of the COVID scare back in March of 2020, but the jump to $250 billion is nonetheless noteworthy. And it's surprising to us that high-yield bond spreads have not moved out in tandem. In fact, since October of 2022, spreads have tightened significantly, from 552 basis points all the way down to 387 basis points, which is on or about one-year tights, and well through the 20-year average of around 500 basis points. So what gives? Well, part of the answer, no doubt, is favorable technicals. High-yield bond issuance has fallen dramatically since the 2021 stimulus-driven peak of over $500 billion, down to $128 billion over the trailing 12 months. So there's scarcity value to consider. And part of the answer lies in the market's widely held view that the economic contraction is going to be mild, which figures to keep defaults at relatively low levels. That will keep spreads well-bid, and we agree with that view but we believe the economic backdrop will get worse before it gets better as the full bite of credit tightening, both the Feds and the banking sectors, takes hold. Now, against that backdrop, we believe the pile of distressed bonds and loans are more likely to rise from current levels than fall, and positive technicals notwithstanding, that backdrop should pull spreads wider in the second half as well. All right, on to our second thing, bouncing consumer sentiment. We talk about lots of things that we think influence credit markets, but really much of this comes down to the health, financially and emotionally, of the U.S. consumer. The consumer's ability and willingness to spend powers the global economy and credit markets. There's a lot of puts and takes that goes into determining the strength of the U.S. consumer. Are they employed? Are they secure in their employment? What is the extent of their financial security? Is their debt burden manageable? Are wages keeping up with inflation? Are they happy? All of that gets to that all-important ability and willingness to spend. Now, taking these one by one, overwhelmingly, yes, they are employed and they are relatively secure in their employment. 
in the aggregate, and we must stress we are talking in the aggregate as we are seeing weakness in the lower income segments of the consumer, but in the aggregate, consumers are financially secure judging by household net worth, which is just off of record highs and some 27% higher than 2019. As for the debt burden, it's manageable judging by the financial obligations ratio at 50-year lows. Even though inflation serves as an unwanted tax on consumers, wages are for the most part keeping up, especially with inflation coming down. So are consumers happy? Well, that's more of a mixed bag. According to Gallup, 83% of us are at least somewhat satisfied with our personal lives, about equal to the long-term average. That's good. Yet 71% believe the U.S. is on the wrong track, according to Morning Consult, while trust in many institutions, according to Gallup, is, quote, at or near rock bottom, unquote. That's not so good. And we see the weight of those latter two surveys reflected, no doubt, in the most broadly watched consumer sentiment surveys, that produced by the Conference Board and the University of Michigan. Both of those remain well below pre-pandemic levels, despite bounces higher in the most recent results. Now, it's interesting to note there is a historically wide differential today between the two surveys, owing to the more buoyant Conference Board's orientation towards employment, while the still deeply negative Michigan's, which skews towards financial matters. In any event, both surveys' bounce likely had more to do with stocks rising, food prices coming down, and gas prices staying low. All of that, coupled with still strong job security and wage gains, and a still meaningful stockpile of excess savings should keep spending up, right? Well, not so much. The latest personal consumption reading was weak in both nominal and real terms, and the preceding month, April, was revised down. After January's weather-driven strong point, spending growth has been near 0% over the past four months. While this is obviously good news to the Fed, it is a bit of a wake-up call to those that are whistling past the rate hikes. Slowdown is happening. All right, on to our third thing, a grounding perspective on corporate earnings growth. And we always like to remind folks that every subsector in credit is underpinned by corporate earnings growth. Beyond the obvious correlation to corporate credit, corporates employ individuals whose loans end up in consumer ABS. They provide the tax base that supports public finance. They lease commercial properties whose loans end up in CMBS. You get the picture. So he took note of a paper published in June by Michael Smolyansky, principal economist of the Federal Reserve Board. It's titled, End of an Era, The Coming Long-Run Slowdown in Corporate Profit Growth and Stock Returns. Well, that sounds like a downer. Turns out his thesis is fairly intuitive, and he backs it up convincingly. Dr. Smolyansky looked at 60 years of data, that's 1962 to 2022 for those keeping score, on earnings in the stock price performance of the S&P 500's non-financial firms. In a 30-year period from 1989 to just before the pandemic, 2019, the S&P grew at a real rate of 5.5%, compared to growth in U.S. real GDP of just 2.5%. Now, is that just irrational exuberance, albeit over a long period of time, or is there something more fundamental? The author substantiates the latter. Earnings and rates, of course, drive stocks. Turns out real corporate profits grew at an annual rate of 3.8% over this most recent 30-year time frame, almost double the rate achieved from 1962 to 1989. 
The difference, according to the paper, is entirely due to two factors that occurred in the most recent 30-year period. One, the decline in interest rates, and two, the decline in corporate tax rates. In 1989, interest plus tax expense was 54% of EBIT for this universe. By 2019, it was 27%. Stripping out the effect of lower interest and tax expense, the research notes that EBIT growth between the two periods is relatively close, 2.2% annually in the most recent period and 2.4% annually in the earlier period. Now, we've written and talked about credit's new paradigm, one where investors and corporate managers will face higher rates and slower growth in the future. For comparison purposes, keep in mind that the 10-year at the end of 2019 stood at 1.9%, down six points from the level in 1989. The corporate tax rate? Well, it fell from 34% in 1989 to 15% in 2019. Needless to say, those moves fueled extraordinary earnings growth in the most recent 30-year period and cannot be replicated anytime soon. Now, Dr. Smolyansky goes on to make the case that the long-term earnings growth will be no higher than GDP growth, which the Fed's Open Market Committee estimates to be a rather lackluster 1.8% something to consider. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, distressed credit diverges from spreads. Technicals are battling gravity. Ultimately, we think gravity wins. Two, consumer sentiment bounces. It's still low and it's not likely to improve. And three, corporate earnings growth. Focusing on EBIT growth will give you a clearer picture of what's ahead. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and latest research. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's Chief Strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.